so nice to see you all on this beautiful August Sunday. Hope your summer is going well and uh, so nice to see all of you here. So this uh, summer we are doing a series called Think About It and um, I'm going to, um, in that uh, series, I'm going to do Think About It this morning is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians uh, in chapter 1. Uh, last week, we had Rick Watts. Uh, it's a hard act to follow after Rick Watts. You know, he spoke on how Christianity has changed the civilization um, as a whole, right? Um, so I'm uh, following up with that, uh, not in that theme, it's in a different, but Paul's prayer that is written here is in the Greco-Roman world that Rick talked about last week. Um, this prayer uh, was written to the church in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, is a lot like Vancouver or Coquitlam. It was an affluent city, uh, four kilometers from the port, uh, had a population of 220,000 people. For that ancient times, it's a big city, right? Uh, urban center right behind Rome, Athens, and Ephesus. Uh, it was a large trading center, a shipping route bringing the east and the west together, just like Vancouver does, I think. Um, this letter is written by Paul. Um, uh, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul, he grew up in Tarsus. Uh, again, Tarsus is a university city, um, a university town, an uh, urban place. Uh, he was taught by Rabbi Gamaliel, a greatest Judaism thinkers of that time. And he was a Pharisee. Uh, Pharisee means he was the elite. Um, and uh, he would have known his Old Testament very, very well. Some people think he would have memorized all of the Old Testament. Um, and then he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Before that, he was terrorizing all the Christians. And he has this encounter with Jesus. It changes his world upside down. And then he becomes a missionary, planting churches all over the uh, uh, world. And so, one of the churches he plants is this church in Ephesus. Uh, Dervin and I went to the church in Ephesus. Efe uh, is from Ephesus. <laughs> uh, it's Turkey, uh, modern-day Turkey. And uh, uh, so, I'm going to, rather than reading this passage, I'm going to pray this prayer over us. And if you are able, would you stand with me as I... Uh, pray this prayer. This is from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 17 to 19. I keep asking that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, 
in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, there's two prayers in, Ephes- uh, in the Ephesian uh, chapter 1. He prays, I want you to know God. That was Paul's intention in the chapter 1 prayer. Chapter 3 prayer, he prays, I want you to be filled. So, today we are doing chapter 1 prayer. And in chapter 1 prayer, there's two parts. The first one is, I want you to know this God. And the second part is, I want you to know the benefits of knowing this God. So I'll just we'll walk through this prayer. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses this term very often in his letters. Initially, I didn't like it. I, li- I didn't like that term. I was like, God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Why would he use that term? And... Um, That's why you need to know the context and to know Paul was a rabbi, right? Um, He was a Pharisee. His understanding of God was God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel. What does that mean? It means God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know whether you remember the story when uh, uh, God called Moses to lead these people out of slavery at the burning bush. And, uh, you know, Moses is shaking in his boots or maybe in his sandals. He's shaking there and he's like saying, who do I tell sent me? And God says, tell them it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, John Calvin, he says, man's nature... We are idol-making factories. We make gods in our own image. If the God you worship is becoming more like you, the people whom you don't like, God doesn't like, the people you hate, God hates, that's a clue to you that you are making God in your own image. In the ancient world, Rick Watts last week said, uh, most people worshipped God to appease this God. He was an angry God, right? And so it gave sacrifices and all these things to appease this angry God so that he would like them. And, uh, but here is a God in, in the God of Abraham who wants to bless. He's not angry with them. He wants to bless them. So we need to know this God who has revealed himself in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can't make up your own God, okay? Um, It's interesting when our our boys were young, uh, they used to always make fun of me saying, if they didn't know where mom was, mom was with Abraham. Because I loved studying Abraham. Um, I was amazed by this living God who revealed himself to Abraham. It's the God who kept on initiating. It wasn't Abraham who sought out God. 
It's God who sought out Abraham over and over and over again. He wanted this deep relationship with Abraham. It's not because Abraham deserved it. It wasn't Abraham was a godly man. And God came to him over and over again, said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I will be your shield and your very great reward. I will be the faithful one, even though Abraham wasn't faithful. He said, I am your El Shaddai, the one who will provide for you when he couldn't provide for himself. He said, I am the God of second, third, fourth, 84th chances. I am the God who's there for you. It's interesting, even in that story, God comes and reveals himself to Hagar, a, a voiceless, abused slave in Abraham's household. And uh, he comes and, and meets with Hagar, who's not even Jewish, right? And he comes and meets with her and, and speaks to her. And then after that, Hagar says, about God, the one who sees me. She thought nobody saw her. Nobody knew her. And God comes to her and speaks to her. And after that, she says, he is the one who sees me. Today, we are, uh, we are as a church, memorizing uh, uh, Psalm 46. Even there, it talks about the God of Jacob, if you keep on uh, reading and memorizing um, the God who reveals himself in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here Paul wants you to now, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who revealed himself in Jesus, that's whom Paul wants you to know. This is how, if you want to see this God, you want to see Jesus, the, uh, the God whom Jesus loved, the God to whom Jesus prayed, the God whom Jesus loved. That's whom Paul wants you to know. Um, those of you who know me, uh, you know I am blind as a bat. I am. So I, my glasses are thick glasses, uh, and I pray extra uh, to make them thin. Even when they are thin, it's thick. It's like big glasses. Thank God I have contact lenses. And I can see you now, right? Otherwise, I would say that you're like trees walking by. That's the way I see you guys. Um, funny story. Uh, uh, this is a few years ago. We went to a party, came home, went to bed. The next morning, I got up, and I could see. Usually, I can't see. I have to feel my glasses uh, on the side table. I feel it, and then I put it on. Then I can see the clock. I can see everything, right? This day, I woke up. I could see. I'm like, wow, Jesus has healed my eyes. I didn't even pray for eyesight, and I've been healed. I'm so excited. And Devin is lying beside me. I'm like, Devin, I can see. I can see. God has healed me. He's very quiet. And then he says, Angel, did you take your contact lenses off? <laughs> Burst my bubble without even a thought. Uh, so, <laughs> so I see the world through my contact lenses. That's how I see. What Paul is saying is we are meant to view the world and the Bible through the lenses of Jesus. When you see it through that view, 
It all makes sense. Because remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. If you remember that story on the uh, Mount uh, of Transfiguration, where for a short period of time, uh, Jesus was transfigured, his hidden glory was revealed, right? And the cloud comes, and the Father speaks, and there is Moses and Elijah, and what does the Father say? This is my son, listen to him. From that moment on, it changes, the history changes. From now onwards, everything has to be looked through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus is the self-revelation of the invisible God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So that's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says the glorious Father. This is, Jesus is the one who revealed God as Father. Did you know that? Before that, he was just God. He had names, but Jesus comes and calls him Father. And he's the glorious Father. Uh, because if you read Jesus' prayers in the Gospels, it's all he's talking to the Father. You know, you and me, uh, I know about me, I would do anything for my kids, right? Anything. Anything I could do for the benefit of our kids, I would do it. And so would you. For your kids, you would. You and I being selfish, self-absorbed, not so very nice people would do the best for our kids. How much more? will the glorious Father do for you? So here's the prayer. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Know God. It's not know about God. It's know God. Uh, we live in the information age right now, right? Google, Google age. Uh, everything is on your fingertips. You want to know what you want to eat for lunch? You ask Google, Google will tell you. You want to know how to cook that food? Google will tell you. If you want to know how far is the restaurant? Google will tell you. Google will tell you everything, right? We live in this information age. You could go home from now till next Sunday, listen to 12 or 15 or 20 different messages from the world's best theologians. You can listen to it. It is not you knowing God. I could say to you, I know Justin Trudeau. No, I really don't. I know information about him, right? I could get all the information from Google and say, yeah, I know Justin Trudeau. But I really don't know him, do I? I just know about him. I could say to you, I know the queen. Because I know I can get all the information about her. But I don't really know her. Uh, my doctor might say she knows me. But does she really? No, she knows my blood sugar, my heart rate, and my cholesterol levels. And that's about it, right? She doesn't really know me. This knowing this Paul is talking about 
is deep knowing. The way I know Derwin. Derwin knows me. Deep knowing. That's what Paul is talking about. Sometimes in North America, we have simplified Christianity and saying you pray the prayer, ask Jesus to come into your life, and you know you get ticket to go to heaven. That's not what eternal life is. Listen to what Jesus says eternal life is in John 17, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life. He's praying now that they may know you. He's talking to the Father that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So that means eternal life starts here right now. It's not after you die and go to heaven. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is right now, here and now. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. That life is a life with God, this relationship of knowing, deep knowing God. It says, um, Jesus knows the Father and the Father knows the Son. That's how we are meant to know God. So how do you know this God? Listen to Paul's prayer. He says, he prays that the glorious Father may give you spirit of wisdom and revelation. So if you want to know me, there's two things that has to happen. One, you need to approach me and tell me that you want to know me. You need to come to me, right? And the second thing is I need to open myself to you and reveal who I am then you would know me. And that's what Paul is talking about. If you want to know God, God has to reveal himself to you. This wisdom and revelation is a special work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is skill and the know-how, how to live this life you're living in, in relationship with God. So you could be a student and still know the wisdom, how to live this relationship with God. You could be an engineer. You could be a mom and live this life with God in your circumstances. Uh, and uh, Revelation, the Greek word there is apocalypse. Now, I know you're immediately thinking end times. That's not what apocalypse means. It means opening up, lifting the curtains so that you may see. And um, in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 11, verses 25 to 30, uh, Jesus has been doing all these miracles, but the people are not believing Jesus. Their eyes are not on Jesus, and Jesus is heartbroken. And he talks about it, and then in, in the middle of that, all of a sudden, he breaks into this prayer. He says, uh, uh, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, 
and no one knows the Father except the Son and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There's that word, reveal. And then Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What Jesus is trying to say is this wisdom and revelation is not for the elite. It's not for the wise. It's not for the pastors or the prayer warriors. It's for the childlike. What's so unique about childlike? They are open. Their hearts are open. Their hands are open to receiving. They are humble, right? And Jesus says it's hidden from those who think of themselves wise and clever. So if you think you have figured out God, or if you have figured out Christianity, watch out. Because Jesus is not going to reveal more of himself to you. Who does Jesus reveal to? One, whoever whom he chooses. And two, all those who come to him. All those who come to him. doesn't matter where you are in life. If you come to him, he will reveal himself to you. So that's the first part of the prayer. The second part of the prayer is, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened, uh, the word means flooded with light. Think of a stage, it's dark, and then all of a sudden light comes on, right? All of a sudden you see everything. That's what he's praying. Uh, it would be flooded with light, and then he's praying... The eyes of your heart. A heart in the ancient times, in the first century, would mean it's the center of a person, personhood. That's uh, where your emotions are, your intellect, you think, you make decisions. It's the control center of your being. And so he's praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. For why? He says there's three benefits. Uh, the first one is that you would know the hope of God's calling. Did you know God chose you before the foundations of the earth? He chose you. If you don't believe me, the rest of the Sunday you could go and read Ephesians chapter 1. He talks about that. He who created you with all that you are, with your gifts, your talents, your beauty, with all that he created you, he has called you. He has called you for a greater purpose than you can imagine. 
And there is hope in this calling. Uh, what does hope mean? Hope means the right side up, right? If you are um, or like the compass showing north, that's what hope is. When you are feeling like you are in the, in the storm, you know the right side up. The ship is in the right place, the right side up. That's hope. When you are in your calling, you feel alive. You feel alive when you are doing what God is calling you to do. Each one of us is called very differently with different purposes, but he has a calling on your life. If you are a student, you have a calling right now. If you are a mother, you have a calling right now. It's not, sometimes we think the calling is, okay, after my kids are grown up, I'll do that. Oh, after I finish my school, I'll do that. No, there's a calling for you for this time and this season. The second uh, uh, benefit, he says, is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in his people. When Jesus Christ claimed us for himself, we became his inheritance. Do you know that? It's not the galaxies and the stars and the Milky Ways are his inheritance. We are his inheritance. It's amazing, this rich, amazing God is investing all on us. Paul is praying that we would grasp this immensity of this glorious life. And the last one is, he says, is this extraordinary greatness of power toward us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. This, in Greek, it's very rich, rich words. Um, this power he's talking about in Greek is dunamite. It's dynamite, right? Uh, that's where we get dynamite from. It's the capacity to do whatever needs to be done. This working in, 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 in Greek is the ability to do whatever needs to be done. The strength that he's talking about, that's the authority to ex exercise power. So he's saying to us, there is this power available to us. If you think you can do this life with Jesus on your own, you can't. Because you're going to fail miserably if you're going to try on your own. And you're asking, what is this power is like? Paul says it's, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He was dead for three days, Jesus was, in the tomb. I'm sure his body was decomposing. And this power comes and raises him from the dead. And he's saying that power is available to, to you. I want you to also know this power, this prayer is for the church in Ephesus. You know, we, I have read this prayer to you many times this morning. And the you in there most of the time is plural. It's not singular. I know that's the difficulty in English. You know, we always take it, especially in the Western world, we take, it's me, it's me, it's me and me. But it's not. 
The you is plural. It's for Paul is talking to the church. The church is in, in Greece, Greece, Greek is ecclesia. It's the gathering of the people. It's people, gathered people, to worship, to pray. It's amazing, God said, when my people come together, he will come and meet with us. I think that's why there is power when we are gathered here. He comes. When he comes, his presence transforms us. It's not the teaching that transforms us. It is his presence. It's who he is. When he, we are here, when we worship, he comes. Because we are his inheritance. And he comes and he transforms the inside of us, who we are, to who we are meant to be. Because he sees you from where you are to where you are meant to be. And he is determined, like Sonia said, like that uh, mole that is trying to come out, right? God is there in our pit trying to cheer us on to get out of there to do all that we are meant to be and meant to do. And this is what Paul wants us to, he's inviting us to know this God because when he comes, we know him. We know him deeply. I want to end uh, this, this time in, in reading for you uh, from the last chapter, uh, first chapter of uh, Ephesians, the last verses. But I'm going to read it to you in the message uh, uh, version of it. He says, all this power issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on the throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe. Everything from the galaxies to governments. We need to hear that, don't we? We feel like the governments are all falling apart. We need to know that everything from the galaxies to the governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. Not just for this time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all has the final word on everything. You know, that's why Jesus' last words in Revelation is, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then he says, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Isn't that interesting, eh? The church is Christ's body in which he speaks, acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. What Paul is saying is that the reality you think is real, what you see and what you feel, he's saying that's not the final reality. He says there's a greater reality that is unseen. And if you get mixed up thinking this is it, this is the reality, he wants you to keep your eyes on Jesus. He says at the center of the universe is this trinity, this community of love. And if that's the case, 
Paul is saying that is the true reality. And so therefore, uh, Christ and we are his bride, we are in the center of it all. Now, I've given you lots of information right now. It doesn't mean what I have said means you know God. I'm going to ask uh, Darcy to come and play, and uh, I'm just going to give you some quiet time. All that I have said, I want you to quieten your heart and listen to Jesus. I think he wants to know you, and he wants to reveal himself to you. Lord Jesus, come among us, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Flood the eyes of our heart with light so that we might know you. sense the Lord saying, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know I am God. it says step out of the traffic take a long loving look at me your high God above politics above everything Some of you have lost your way. You have lost the, the plot. And God wants to come 
rearrange the furniture in your heart he wants to reorder of a a pot uh, a plant in a pot that is root bound you know what root bound is the roots have gone just round and round it needs to be put in a bigger pot so that it will grow and bear fruit and flowers and for some of you i sense the lord wants to do that you have been so root bound it has been all about you and your safety and and your life and god wants you to live a large life larger than you could imagine so that you would know the hope of his calling and some of you are hopeless and feeling angry angry at god maybe angry at the world maybe angry at people who have hurt you wounded you i sense jesus wants you to come with all your broken dreams and shattered dreams broken pieces come to him because he wants you to taste and see that the lord is good